Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Crossing family, joining from all of our different locations. Are you excited to be hanging out today? Oh, it makes me happy. Last time we were hanging out, I gotta be honest with you, I was dealing with a bad back. Uh, it was out, it was out real bad. In fact, uh, during this service two weeks ago when I was preaching, I was moving like this because my back was basically out. Somebody in between first and second service had to crack my back, put it back in place so I could preach second service. And I have to tell you how I injured it because uh, this is important. Um, I got the smoker, I got the grill, and my parents had a Blackstone that they weren't using. And I'd made a commitment on that Friday that I was gonna cook a meal on each of those backyard devices so that when my wife didn't have to cook at all on that Friday. And by 8.30 in the morning, uh, I had lifted up the Blackstone uh, by myself uh, over while well, well, it was still hot, so I tried to keep it away. And that uh, threw my back out. And so by 8.45 on that Friday morning when I had told my wife I was gonna cook all the meals, I was laying in a chair not doing anything for the remainder of the weekend. And so if you see my wife, if she's traveling and wherever you catch her, would you just tell her, we're just so thankful, Jennifer, that somebody uh, took this guy off the market because he's a disaster, okay? <laughs> she, she deserves your love. Uh, what I wanna do today is I wanna talk to you about a topic that I have misunderstood for uh, most of my life. And I'm guessing, um, that maybe you have too. And then if we were to figure out a way to get this thing right, it would be a tremendous gift to ourselves and a tremendous gift to the people that we are in relationship with. All throughout human history, God has been curating for himself a people group. Um, last week, Jerry talked about identity. God's desire was for people to find their identity in him, they were to be identified as the people of God. This was personal, I am a child of God. It was spiritual, I've been adopted as uh, sons and daughters of God. It was supposed to be communal, we are the family of God in the church that I grew up. When somebody got baptized, the whole church, we didn't do it during the service, it happened after the service, but the whole church stayed. And then when they walked out of like the changing room with their hair all wet, Everybody was standing in a big old circle and we would sing this song. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. It's interesting, I'm glad we don't do that. And, uh, but it was communal, like you were supposed to see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And then it was supposed to be evangelistic where people would see us and go, they are the people of God, Christians. This is how it's always been. And in the Old Testament, when you, you find all these rules and regulations, uh, you start reading your Bible in Genesis, you're like, man, I'm gonna read my Bible this year, it's gonna be great. And you're like, That's, this is full of some really crazy stories. Then you read Exodus and you're like, oh, really cool. But when you get into Leviticus, you go like, I don't, I don't wanna read my Bible anymore. I gotta be honest with you. Like, God, I love you, but I'm out. And Leviticus, the reason why it's so hard for you to read is it is all kinds of rules and regulations. And it goes down into minute details. It talks about what you're supposed to wear, what you're supposed to eat, 
what your schedule is supposed to look like, what your what holidays you celebrate, how you handle generosity, how you handle your ethics and your values. All of these were part of God's design plan. And the purpose was not just for you to be able to identify yourself as a part of the family or people of God, but to distinguish yourself from those who were not. And then Jesus shows up. And a lot of times we like to think of Jesus as, you know, just blowing up the Old Testament, but that's not what Jesus does. In fact, almost all the time, Jesus takes whatever is in the uh, Old Testament and turns it up to 11. He ratchets it up. He doesn't downplay it or turn it down. So Jesus comes along and he does the exact same thing in the New Testament that God was doing in the Old Testament. You see this in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' longest sermon, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. Jesus lays out for his disciples what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, how we're supposed to behave, how we're supposed to treat people, how we're supposed to treat uh, ourselves and our family. And what we do is it's supposed to serve as a template on how we are to distinguish ourselves from the world. Jesus shows up and he is trying to curate for himself a people, and he's trying to help us distinguish ourselves from those who are not in him. This happens all throughout the New Testament. When you read the New Testament, you'll see these phrases like, uh, you're supposed to be the light of the world, a city on a hill. Uh, you're supposed to be, um, he'll say things like, not so with you. Other people do it this way, not so with you. Or things like, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Or phrases like, you are to be aliens and strangers. Now, I, I've never met an alien, but I'm guessing they're different. And God's design was for the people that follow after him, Jesus' design that the people who follow after him would cling to him and be different from the world. He was creating a, a culture and a community with God at the center. We see expressions of this all the time, uh, where your identity ends up determining your behavior. For instance, that's why there are Cardinals fans and Cubs fans are different. I'm not gonna say anything positive or negative. Let's just admit, they're different. That's why Bears fans are always so upset, right? It's gonna be another rough year. It's just what happens. But when you, I, I'm, a, I'm an Iowa Hawkeye fan. I, I'm a college sports guy. And fellas, back me up here. Yeah, you, praise God for that. I just, I appreciate that. We got an Iowa Hawkeye fan here. So when you, when you join a team, when you're a part of that team, none of the things that that team does are imposed on you. You willingly participate in them. You end up knowing the fight song, or you know what they say after a first down, how they like to talk about it, or you know the tailgating strategies, you know the history, you participate in the boosters, not because it's lorded over you, but because you willingly want to engage in it. No one forces you to wear the jersey, you wanna wear it. That's what happens, how you identify ends up determining your behavior. We see this in political parties. Everybody good? Right? 
Once you find your party, over time it gets really, really easy for you to just tow the party line. I'm willing to wager that we could do an experiment. We're not going to because I love you all too much. But if I were to make you talk to somebody that you didn't come with, like someone who's like three rows behind you, I'm guessing in under five minutes, you could figure out where they get their news from. <laughs> like, I think five minutes in, you'd be like, I think this is a Fox Newser. I really do. Some of you will be going, I watched that same, I watched that same one. I agree. Others of you, you're CNNers or MSNBC or whatever you... And then some of you are like, oh, we, we, don't, we don't trust mainstream media. They're corrupt. Um, I get my stuff from Facebook. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's doctors on there, and I know that because their name says doctor. And they said, okay, and you identify with them, and then you take it lock, stock, and barrel. I'm not saying this is all bad. I'm just saying that that's just what happens. We willingly identify. And what God has always wanted us to do was willingly identify with him. And when you identified with God, two things would happen. One, you would experience the blessings of God. The blessings of God do not exist outside of obedience. That when you cling to God, you experience the blessings of God. That's why we say that God's way is the best way that you will live a more fulfilling and uh, a life with less regrets when you are in relationship with God. And, and that this life that you would be living united in Christ would be winsome to a watching world. That they would see the way your life is going and go, I want that too. And when people see what it's like in God's kingdom, when they see the benefits of choosing a life with God, they're drawn not to you, but to the one you're clinging to. However, for many of us, we try to live in two worlds. Secretly, we have a longing and desire to follow God, live the life he wants us to live and enjoy uh, the promises that will one day be ours in heaven. And at the same time, there's this desire for us to camouflage our faith, reduce our beliefs in such a way so that they become palatable to those around them. So it's not so uh, off-putting. Kind of like the refrigerator night or the refrigerator light in the middle of the night, you open up the refrigerator door, that light is just hard to take in. And we don't wanna be that offensive to people. But the light in the refrigerator is a big deal because you don't want to drink barbecue. I mean, you can drink barbecue sauce, but you don't necessarily want to. Not that late at night anyway. But the light serves a purpose. It helps you cling to and grab the right things. That light keeps people from stumbling in the dark. And when we choose to hide our light and camouflage our faith, not only do we suffer, but the people around you suffer. There is no such thing as an incognito Christian. There are, no, there are no undercover agents in God's army. Some of us, we're so worried about being on the right side of history that we could end up being on the wrong side of eternity. 
that we are so concerned with how the world perceives us that we never actually live the way God designed us. The super spiritual word for everything I've been talking about so far is holiness. Holy. Now that is a super spiritual word. Um, holy means separate, unique, different, pure. For instance, there's books. And then there's the holy book. Your Bible, even the one you pull up on your phone says holy Bible, the holy books. Oh, there's the spirit. There's spirits. And then there's the Holy Spirit. Next week, I'm getting, I'm preaching in a sermon on angels and demons. <laughs> Find out, come back, okay? Uh, when, when we read the scriptures, it says that God is holy. And it says that we're called to be holy. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, the book that nobody wants to read. Look what it says. I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore be holy because I am holy. This Old Testament command is repeated in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I, this is God, am holy. Both times, holiness is used to describe God, God is holy, and prescribe our actions. Be holy. Why? Well, because God is holy. And when, you think, when you're thinking holy, think, and you're thinking separate, utterly unique, to be holy is to separate yourself from something and identify with something else, or more importantly, someone else. If this is the world and this is God, God is separate from the world. And what he's asking you and I to do is be holy. We're not just leaving the world, we are grabbing a hold of and separating ourselves unto God. For instance, the world handles sex one way, but in holiness, we treat sex differently. We choose God's way. It may make us seem weird, out of touch, too old school, but those who are in Christ want to identify themselves with God's plans and purposes, believing that that way is the best way. There's other areas, uh, how you handle your money. There's the world's way, you can be stingy or you can do it God's way and be generous. Uh, when you handle hurt, uh, the world says get hateful and God says forgive. All of those things separate you from the pattern of the world and help you identify with God. It changes how we advocate and who we advocate for, how we talk, how we love, how we lead, how we follow. Here's what I'm saying. There is not an area of your life where you don't have an opportunity to make this choice, to either identify with the world or to be holy and identify yourself and move in the direction of God. You can choose worldliness or you can go towards him. 
And I gotta be honest with you, the problem I have always had, I mean, still wrestling with this, is the command of holiness. Be holy. I feel the weight of it. I feel like if I'm not holy enough, God will never fully love me. If I feel like I'm not holy enough, I feel like I'm not gonna get into heaven. I know this is bad theology, but this is how I've always felt. And then you add to the pressure of not wanting to disappoint God, but add to the pressure that if I'm not holy enough, if I'm not united with Christ enough, the people around me, uh, my light won't be bright enough and I won't be able to point them, uh, guide them out of darkness and into the heavenly light. And I feel the weight, not just of letting God down with my holiness, but letting the people around me down because I wasn't holy enough. And so you can end up taking this to the extreme that you can put this huge weight on you to be different from everybody. You could go buy all your clothes at the Amish store. You would be different. I mean, you could go a step further by, well, everybody else is driving cars. I guess we're gonna walk. I mean, everybody else watches movies, so I guess, I guess we're done watching movies. We have to be different. We have to be holy. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where God watches a movie. So I guess we can't watch those. I mean, everybody else goes on vacations. We're gonna be different. We're not going on vacations. Everybody else takes showers. <laughs> the crazy thing is, is I, I went to school with people who didn't watch TV because they wanted to be holy. I've driven past the buggies pulled by horses from people who live in houses without air conditioning. They're different. They're holy. But is that what God was after? Was God's holiness that he wanted out of you to be purely on the outside. That's what happened to the religious leaders. If you were to ask people in Jesus' day, who are the most holy people around? They would, there would have been no dispute. They would have all pointed at the same people, the religious leaders. They did all the holy things. And then Jesus shows up and he's talking to them. He's like, uh, Jesus says mean things to these guys. Like everybody else is going, that's the most spiritual person I know. And Jesus shows up and is like, I don't even really know who you are. He calls them whitewashed tombs. What that means is they are really, really beautiful on the outside, but full of death on the inside. Not a compliment. Like this is not what you'd say to somebody if you liked them. You look like a whitewashed tomb today, right? You, but you've met those people, right? They had it all together that everybody else fooled. And then you got behind the curtain, you're like, ah, ugh, this isn't good. Well, that's what Jesus did. I mean, everything for them was an outward appearance. None of it had made its way into their heart. That my holiness is a response to God. And my holiness is a response to the world that I love. 
I need to feel and be aware of the fact that my life and my holiness are a reflection of what God did for me and of his magnificent love, but I have to be careful that I don't turn holiness into a work. And can I be honest with you as one of your pastors? I've lived here most of my life viewing holiness as a work, a thing you have to do to get God to love you. What I learned this week is that I focused way too much of my attention on the command to be holy. I missed the fact that holiness is received from God, not achieved by man. Our practice of holiness is a result of God's proclamation over us. It's only when we allow God's declaration of our holiness to sink into our hearts that we're transformed to align with his character and nature, which is holiness. This isn't too hard for you to grasp. Uh, if I were to bring out a big uh, pile of white fabric, is there anything special about that white fabric? No, it's just white fabric. Uh, but you could take that same piece of fabric and you could turn it into a wedding dress. And when you turn that piece of fabric into a wedding dress instead of a worship pastor's pants, it has more significance. It has more meaning. And once you make it into a wedding dress, there's certain things you do and you don't do with it. Uh, Jennifer, uh, my wife, she, she makes things holy. That's what she does in our home. She makes things holy. Um, I don't wanna flaunt uh, Jennifer and I's wealth. Um, but I found out last week, and please don't leave the church over this, that we have an outside broom. I, it's hard for me to tell you that we're the kind of family that has two brooms, um, but we've got money, we can't hide it, okay? I, I didn't know we even had two brooms. I just thought we had broom. And I went to use the broom inside, and she said, what are you doing? Sweeping. Not with that broom, you're not. That's the outside broom. Like what? She goes, yeah, you can only use that for outside surfaces. So we have a inside broom? Yeah, okay. Can the inside broom be used out? No. Outside broom is only for outside stuff. Inside broom is only for inside stuff. Now this is stupid because um, the dirt inside the house came from outside. <laughs> right, we got another one. Uh, how many of you, we have, a, we have a double ovens at our house, old double ovens, and they have the little, whatever you use, handle. We hang towels on the, on the, on the handle. Do you guys do that on your oven? How many people am I talking to right now? Okay, yeah, okay, all right, I don't like you guys. Um, <laughs> we, we have, on the bottom one, we have a towel. Uh, a lot of our problems, Jennifer and I's problems, actually revolve around towels. We have a, we have a towel that you can't use. Can't touch it. Get out of here. If you guys leave now, there's lots of churches in town, okay? Pick a team and play on it, okay? I don't, we, we decorate with this. That's what this is. If, if you come over to our house, we're wanting you to go check out that towel, yo. We're, 
you can't, I don't, just, it's art. We are so rich. We Picasso our towels, come on over. No, we're not hanging them on the wall, no. We're not gonna frame them, no. We're gonna put it on the lower oven lid. Just look at it. Makes no sense to, why would you make something that you can't, it's a towel. Now, above that, this is where it gets more confusing, we have another towel. And I thought, because it looks so drastically different from the bottom towel, that the towel on the top oven could be used. Apparently, just not used by me. Because I came in from mowing the yard. Ladies, stay with me. Stay with me. I see the towel. I pick it up. Wipe my face off. Now hold on. Because I know how my wife is about folding. I fold it back up, waiting for her to run over, give me a kiss and put her leg up while she does so. And she goes, what are you doing? And I said, and I don't want this to be controversial, I'm using a towel. She said, no. So I know now that the towel on top, you can use only after you have surgically washed your hands in the sink, dried off all of the water by shaking it, then you can touch it, but just for a moment. My wife makes things holy. Because when she says they're hers, and she gives them a purpose, they're not to be used for anything else. You do this too. Do you know how good a toothbrush is at getting the hinges around the back of your toilet seat? Oh, it's the best. Or cleaning the gunk out of your jewelry? Oh, fantastic. Or cleaning a bicycle change? It's great. But the moment you put that toothbrush in your mouth, it becomes holy. It's not to be used for anything else until you're done with it. Here's what I'm saying. You became holy the moment God said, you're mine. When you said yes in the area of baptism and you said you wanted to become part of the family of God, God said, you're mine. And in that moment, you became holy. I started looking all through the New Testament every time the word holy shows up and something startling happened. When God is talking to the people in Rome, in Romans, he says to the holy people in Rome. He does it again when he's talking to the Corinthian church. It's echoed again in the Ephesian church the, when he's talking to the church in Philippi and Colossa and when he's talking in Philemon. Every time he greets the people, he says, to the holy ones, to the holy and dearly beloved, to the holy ones gathered in. In other words, if God was writing a letter to the crossing, this is what he would say to the holy ones in Quincy, to the holy ones in Macomb, to the holy ones gathered in Kirksville and Pike County and Hannibal, to the holy ones in Lima, Mount Sterling and Keokuk, to the holy ones in Monmouth and Jacksonville, to the holy ones in the crossing inside. Hold on a second, Clayton. Inmates, crossing inside people, come here. You 
are holy. If God can make me, and I've made mistakes, if he can make me holy through the blood of Jesus Christ, that very same blood washes over you too. You might be an inmate, you may have a life sentence, but you are still holy in God's sight because you have been purchased and redeemed and made pure by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are holy. Now, yeah, okay, cool. Now, I wanna show you something really crazy. Um, my ideas of holiness had just always been so jacked up that I didn't realize that I uh, had been made holy by God, but I didn't understand the extent to which this holiness from God impacts the way we live. Um, God's holiness is uh, perfect in its intense, and the closer you would get to God's holiness, the more in fear of your life you would need to be because God's holiness can kill you. And I don't mean that facetiously, I mean that literally. To be in the presence of God as an impure person, as an unholy person, is a death sentence. That's why when you read in the Old Testament about the people who would go in to talk to God, they would tie a rope around their feet so in case they died in God's presence, they could pull them out. We get the first picture of this with Moses in the burning bush. Uh, Moses is out tending sheep and he sees a bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And he goes over to the bush and the angel of the Lord speaks out or God speaks out to him. And it says, don't come any closer. Take your shoes off. The place where you are standing is holy ground. Then when the Israelites are in the desert and they make the tabernacle, in the very middle of the, of the temple or the tabernacle, and you've heard Jerry and I preach about this a bunch of times, there's a, there's a room in the very center of the temple called the most holy place. And this is where God's presence would descend and be among the people. And you read all Leviticus about what are you supposed to eat and what are you supposed to wear? and How are you supposed to behave? All of those things were designed to make you holy so you could go into the temple where God was. You could be in the presence, but only one person, one day a year, was actually allowed to go behind the curtain into the most holy place and meet with God. That's the person they tied the rope around. And so you spent your entire life trying to get yourself clean so you could be in the presence of God. And if you touch somebody that was sick, you became unclean. And if you touched somebody that was dead, you became unclean. And if you ate something you weren't supposed to eat, you became unclean. And so you spent your entire life fighting how to get clean once you get unclean, but it's impossible to go through life without getting unclean. And the arrow was always the same. When something clean touches something unclean, it becomes unclean. That is how it always moved. Clean things touch unclean things and clean things become unclean. And so they separate themselves from disease and from death. But then something interesting happens in Isaiah chapter six. Look at what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, I'll get into that next week, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces and with two they covered with their feet and two they were flying. You'll wanna come back. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. 
And Isaiah, he's in the temple and he goes, woe to me. Woe, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among unclean uh, people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Do you see what Isaiah is saying? He's going, hey, hey, I don't wanna die. I shouldn't be in here. We, I gotta go, hands up. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. It's the first time in scripture that the arrow turns. Up until that moment in time, every time something clean touched something unclean, it became unclean. But for the first time ever, something clean touches the unclean and makes the unclean clean. But it gets more. It, instead of the impurity transferring to the uh, to uh, or the impurity transferring to the coal, the purity from the coal transferred to Isaiah. The pure touches the impure, and it transfers its purity. It isn't destroyed; it's transformed. Then, in the book of Ezekiel, there's a vision <clears throat> that he has of the temple, and underneath the big temple, there's this small trickle of water coming out from underneath the steps. And he looks at it, and he's like, what's going on with this? And the man leads him along and he takes him about, you know, a thousand yards. And that trickle uh, that's coming out of the temple has turned into a small stream, about ankle feet deep. And it's going out into this desert, this barren wasteland. He goes a thousand uh, more yards out. And now uh, this stream that started in the temple is knee deep. He goes another thousand yards out and now it's waist deep. He goes a thousand more yards out and you can't swim it anymore. And everywhere the water goes through this dry, barren desert, vegetation begins to flourish. Plants begin to bloom. Trees begin to form. Birds begin to descend on the branches. Life begins to take over. This oasis is making its way through this barren land. Life is coming out of places that usually house death. And then it goes all the way to the Dead Sea, a place where nothing grows. And all of a sudden it is teeming with fish. Something out of the temple is going out into death and bringing life. Instead of coming clean first and going into the temple, now we have something coming out of the temple and making things clean. And then Jesus shows up. And you know Jesus, we're big fans here. Do you wanna know the fight he kept having with all the religious leaders? Is Jesus would go up to a person who had leprosy, a person who had leprosy was unclean. And Jesus would touch him. And when he touched him, Jesus didn't get leprosy. When Jesus touched him, they became healed. And then he'd say, go show yourself to the religious leaders. Jesus, the purity and the holiness of God touches unclean people like you and me. And in his touch, he makes them clean. 
He makes them holy. He goes to the woman who has the issue of the flow of blood. For 12 years, she hasn't been able to go into the temple. From 12 years, she feels separated by God. You can't touch her or you'd become unclean. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. You're healed. Go in peace. She reaches out and she grabs a hold of him. He didn't become unclean. She became healed. There's a young boy who died. His mother's beside herself. You don't touch dead people because if you touch dead people, you become unclean. And Jesus reaches out and he touches the dead boy. And Jesus doesn't become unclean. The boy becomes alive. Jesus gathers his disciples together and he says, you are gonna be my temple, a royal priesthood. And then he says that out of you is gonna come life and healing and hope and streams of living water. Look what it says in John chapter seven. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. At the end of Revelation, the last picture we get is God sitting on his throne after he's made a new heaven and a new earth. And guess what is flowing from his throne? A river that brings life. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Those of you who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have been made holy. I've spent my entire life trying to figure out how to put holiness on, when from God's perspective, he's not asking you to put holiness on, he's asking you to not take it off. It's already been put on you. Don't take it off. And that when you go out, you have the ability to make unclean things clean when you live your life in front of people in a winsome way and you get to show them the way of Jesus Christ, that God uses you, that something is coming out of this living temple that you and I are that brings hope and healing to the people around us. That's why we operate in our holiness because God deserves it and our world needs it. We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.